Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's May 9th, 1662, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Samuel Pepys's diaries are useful to us in all sorts of ways, bringing us detailed accounts of his proclivity for boozing, carousing and touching up his mistresses, not to mention his candid reporting of how riding a horse once made his anus feel. (laughs) But among his many unquestionable literary contributions, he also brought us the first historical report of seeing a show starring the popular ultra-violent puppet Mr Punch, which he recorded after a visit to Covent Garden Today in History in 1662. Yeah, it was... You know, standard chill Friday after work drinks in Covent Garden for peeps, where he came across what he describes as an Italian puppet play that is within the rails there, which is very pretty, the best that ever I saw, and a great resort of gallants. So obviously drawing quite a crowd. And he actually mentions Italian puppet shows a couple more times in in his diary. Mm. But what he would have been talking about at the time were marionettes, you know, puppets on strings, not the hand glove puppets that we know in Punch and Judy shows today. Like Stromboli in Pinocchio. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Aaron, you mentioned ultra-violent. At the time, they wouldn't have been ultra-violent. The violence would come later. (laughs) Well, the violence would sort of come from England, right? Because what's happened is, you know, you've got this Italian tradition of Commedia dell'arte, human beings performing in masks, different stock characters, which leads to all sorts of stuff in popular culture, including pantomime here in the UK, which we've talked about before. And this is one of those offshoots where it comes via marionette to then be finger puppet, to then be Mr. Punch, the anglicised version of Polly Chinello, which is the character that uh, Peeps would have seen. Polly Chinello has the squeaky voice, though, has the beaky mask, carries the slapstick that he hits people with. So all of the foundations are there. And from what we know, the early Punch shows would have been inserting the character into existing stories like Shakespeare plays, often with satirical overtones, because you know this was considered entertainment for adults. It wasn't aimed at children particularly. Mm. The reason that they came to be so violent, it seems like, comes from that corruption of the word pulcinella into the word punch, which is just a function of you know English people saying it over and over again and getting it wronger and wronger and wronger until it settles into an English word. And it just feels like by, at the point where the name became punch, people just expected it to be violent, so it did become violent. But the one thing he always was, even before he was violent, is an anarchist basically, wasn't he? And in that sense, it's not a surprise that it's a big hit in 1662 because you've just seen this puritanical era come to an end and people need this Mr Blobby-like release from the strictures of London society. You know, Mr Punch talks truth to power, he talks like a commoner. You know, that's important when most plays of the time are about high society. He can satirise all the current fads in opera and politics And all of that would have been real welcome relief, wouldn't it, at a time when theatre had been banned for decades? 
That's right. And you also had this influx of foreign performers coming over to the UK because the kind of traditions of performance had been so stymied by Cromwell that almost you needed foreign talent to be able to restore people's interest in going out and seeing performance in the first place. So a person who is considered to have been the uh, Italian puppet showman that Pepys encountered was a guy called Pietro Gimonde from Bologna. Bologna was immensely popular, so much so that he was actually brought to the uh, the court of Charles II to do a royal command performance uh, at Whitehall, and the king was entirely delighted and apparently uh, rewarded Bologna with this gold chain and a medal worth £25, which would have been uh, about I thought you were going to say string of sausages. Prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would have been appropriate. Um, but no, just it, it went right up to the very, you know, top of society, this popularity. And it was that very popularity that brought the shift towards the glove puppets because it was much easier to transport a booth and puppets that you just wore on your hand than it was to set up actual marionettes in a real theatre and you know you control them on a real stage. I think this also probably contributed to making the action of the shows more physical because I feel like a string puppet can't slap a policeman with a sausage with the same type of relish you can get (laughs) with your hands you know and by the early 1800s we have evidence that the, the kind of the standard seaside punch and judy show that you might see now it had started to take form you know the classic tale of a man with uncontrollable rage beating his wife and baby and policeman and as the punch extended universe continued to expand the doctor the crocodile (laughs) the clown even the devil (laughs) era specific insertions in the punch and judy Mm. tale as well apparently during world war ii Hitler would often fall victim to punch his slapstick. And actually, that tradition has kind of continued because one more modern version has depicted a health and safety officer and his clipboard falling afoul mm. of Mr. Punch's, you know, ever-whirring sausage machine. What's weird <laughs> is that there's a crocodile in it. you have any idea <laughs> what? Mm. Why is there a... Like, Italy and Britain do not have crocodiles. One of the explanations that I read was that, you know, in times where his ultimate uh, foe ended up being the devil when that wasn't really okay to have the devil being depicted around the place that they just sort of swapped in the crocodile uh, <laughs> puppet as being a representative of pure evil. Your explanation raises more questions. <laughs> <laughs> that storyline developed over time and through the the whole, you know, trial and error system of the sort of hand-me-down word of mouth uh, communication of this story and this puppet via these people who have become known as professors. Yeah, but the punch man, the puppeteer, became known as Professor. And then there was the bottler, uh, (laughs) who was the bloke going around collecting the money in a bottle. And it all became quite codified and actually Mm. kind of the same all over the country. You could go all over the country and see the same Punch and Judy show. It ended up being just the same template everywhere. Uh, Yeah, and Punch's signature voice as well was something that you would have heard up and down the country at any Punch and Judy show. I mean, I am from Weymouth, so like the sound of this is like embedded in my ears. I've never consciously sat down and watched one of the Punch and Judy shows, but I can hear the noise of Mr. Punch's voice. You know, it haunts my nightmare. (laughs) This is made using a swazzle, which is a device made of two strips of metal on either side of a reed. Professors use it to create that signature kind of squawking noise, but it's actually quite difficult to use. It sits right in the back of the mouth and you sort of have to whip it 
in and out when you're doing the voices of the other characters. So it's apparently very easy to swallow. So lots of professors historically would tie a piece of string to it in case they accidentally swallowed it so they could pull it back out. And it's actually been suggested that Judy, being the name of Punch's wife, comes from the use of the swazzle because the early accounts of the Punch and Judy show, she's called Joan, but apparently it's easier to say the word Judy with a swazzle in your mouth, right. so, they had to, they, so they changed it. It's funny, isn't it, how much a feature, the whole sense of moral panic that I think still greets Mr. Punch and the Punch and Judy show in general today, this idea that, you know, was he, is he a sort of a, a domestic abuser, that that is thought of as a sort of a a symptom of the contemporary interaction with Mm. Punch and Judy, but actually it really isn't anything new. I found this piece from the Smithsonian uh, magazine that reported that a show that toured the United States back in 1896 troubled one, inverted commas, grave gentleman in the audience enough that he publicly protested, it's a shame to show such things to children. How can you expect them to have any respect for the law? And this really has been going on since the very beginning, you know, this sort of debate on whether Mr. Punch is just a funny character or whether there's something darker beneath what he's communicating and it shouldn't be a show that's shown to kids at all. Yeah, I mean, even earlier in 1849, Charles Dickens talks about Punch and Judy in a letter and he says, I regard it as quite harmless in its influence and as an outrageous joke which no one in existence would think of regarding as an incentive to any kind of action or as a model for any kind of conduct. So he's defending it, but that itself implies that it needed Mm. defending, that even in 1849 people were saying, you know, children and families shouldn't be watching this show. Well, the problem is that the 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 child's mind doesn't distinguish between punching up and punching down, does it? That's the thing. Like, as an adult, you can watch it and be glad when he hits the thief or the policeman and feel bad when he hits his own wife and baby. (laughs) But um, as a child, you you think it's all a bit weird, but you put that down to tradition because the grown-ups have stuck you in front of it. And you don't discern, do you? It's just as funny, isn't it, when he hits the baby over the head? So I suppose that's the concern, isn't it? I mean, it is genuinely... There's no morality imposed upon it at all when you're a kid watching it. It's just silly. No, and it's sort of an appeal to our most antisocial, anarchic impulses. It's almost like a falling down but for you know the 17th century. Mm. It, speaks to that, it speaks to the lizard brain, you know? The part of your brain that says, that baby crying is annoying, like... Shut up, wife. Screw you, policeman, (laughs) trying to tell me what to do. I'm going to hit all of you with the slapstick. Tomorrow. In 1887, he was one of the fighters selected to give a private exhibition for the Prince of Wales. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.